When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, you're listening to Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff. Last week, around International Women's Day, myself, this company called JBC, and Luminary hosted this incredible day of speakers and workshops. And we recorded a lot of the panels just because I thought the women on these panels were giving invaluable advice. So releasing a couple of bonus episodes for you. This first one is with Michelle Cordero Grant of Lively, Mariah Chase from Eloquy, and Nicole Gibbons from Claire. They're all women that are breaking new ground using technology to reach their customer, and they offer some great advice. Take a listen. Wow. All right. (laughs) So good morning. I'm Michelle Cordero Grant, founder and CEO of Lively. Lively is a community, a brand, and experience whose sole purpose is to inspire women to live life passionately, purposefully, and confidently. We do so with our community and products, including bras, undies, swimwear, and beauty. Um, So what industry am I disrupting? Sure, lingerie, but hopefully the way women think and transition from participating to leading. Amazing. Not not a big deal. Not like, we're not just disrupting lingerie. We're going to change the way women think. I love that. Mariah. And she has such good posture. I'm sitting next to her like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Sit up straight, Mariah. Um, Mariah Chase, CEO of Eloquy. Eloquy is a fashion-first direct-to-consumer brand for women sizes 14 to 28. So... Yes, yes. Um, So we are uh, disrupting what was called the plus size industry, which is a term we don't use because they're women. We're all women. We just have different sizes. Um, So we're a fashion brand that runs from size 14 to 28. Uh, For those of you guys who don't know, it's a really, really underserved market. And it's a customer, along with petites, that's always been considered special, right? I I would like to think that we're all special, um, and this woman is no different. So we have a lot of fun um, in fashion every day for this customer. Hi, I'm Nicole Gibbons. I'm the founder and CEO of Claire. Claire is a modern paint company that makes the whole process of paint shopping easier and more inspiring so everyone can create a home they love. Um, And uh, we're disrupting the paint industry. It's a $155 billion global industry. The whole process of paint shopping is miserable. And so we make it easier with only the best paint colors for interiors. We have uh, technology to guide you. We built a tool called Claire Color Genius that helps you find the perfect color. And then we sell all the supplies you need to paint and deliver everything you need to your door. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you, actually. Thank you. Um, I want to start with Mariah. Here's what I want to know. What was it about you in your coming up in the world that made you think, I can disrupt an entire industry? Like, that made you feel like, um, that made you say, like, I see your rules, no thank you. So... You know, growing up, like I, um, you know how sometimes you hear, you would hear your parents like whispering about you, maybe off to the side. So I heard this word 
um, that my parents would kind of say to each other, God, she's fiercely independent. Fierce, did, did you see what she just said? Or did you hear her? She's fiercely independent. And I thought fiercely independent was all one word. Like, I didn't realize it was two, <laughs> two separate words. So, and that's a blessing and a curse. But I never, I, I would say that I'm an incredibly ambitious person with no goals. Right, like I don't have a goal of I've got to get to a certain place by a certain date or do a certain thing. I'm just going to keep climbing the bleep out of that tree or that mountain or whatever, you know, anthill. Some days, some days it's really like an anthill. So I just never had any idea that I couldn't. And I think not being prescriptive about the journey. I have friends who said, by age 30, I want to achieve this. By age 32, I want to have a kid. Um, and, you know, I just never, um, I never had a lot of direction, but I had a lot of ambition and I was extremely independent. And I think that that formula, um, it wasn't confidence. It was just uh, ignorance is bliss, I would but- say. The world really wants you to follow the rules. All of that anxiety around turning 30, like even if you don't have it in yourself, your best friend has it, the internet has it for you. Like there's a lot of messages that say, oh man, you should be really scared of going out on your own and boy, it's going to be hard. And did you hear those terrible stats about women, you know, in, in business? Like how do you, how do you go, la, 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 I'm not hearing you. Faster way to success. Honestly, if you take a big risk, the big risks are what generate big rewards. If you're an ambitious person, that is the way to have more success is to own it yourself. And I had one person say to me, and it was a fundamental game changer, if you can't bet on yourself, who can you bet on? Who are you going to bet on? Why wouldn't you be betting on yourself? And that was, I was like, why shouldn't I bet on myself? You're right. I'm going to bet on myself. You know, that's so. really inspiring. Okay, have you all bet on yourself? We're doing it right after this. I, I feel also like think we, turning forty I feel like we is need like to the best thing ever. And all like bet on ourselves. Nicole, talk to me about your early days. Like, how did you get started? And and at what point were you like, I know paint? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say. I would say, um, similar to Mariah, I've also been fiercely independent and also really, really ambitious. But I was also the kid who kind of like to color outside the line, so to speak. Like, I never liked being fit in a bo- put in a box. I always did what everyone else was not doing. If you ask me whether I like black or white, I'm going to say gray because I don't like, uh, you know, sort of, I've always been the one that like to do something different. Um, and I think maybe as a kid, that's how I felt like I stood out. You know, I don't want to do what everyone else is doing. I'm going to do my own thing. And, and that's, you know, that's what's really going to make me stand out. And that's been, been my mindset all along. So, you know, just my, my quick background before launching Claire, I was an interior designer. And the logical thing you'd think of for a designer uh, to launch as a business might be furniture or bedding or something like that. And I just had this light bulb moment around paint. Again, go back to being really ambitious. I didn't want to do just like another fill-in-the-blank product collection. I wanted to change a $155 billion global industry that hadn't seen any innovation um, and make it better and take on these behemoth paint companies that, from my 
opinion, we're not serving the needs of today's customer. And, um, and so, yeah, I just like had this really, really big vision. Most people are not going to be like, oh, I'm going to start a paint company to take on Sherwin-Williams or whatever. You know, that's a really ambitious goal. And, and here we are doing it. And is Sherwin-Williams like, hey, w- wait a minute, <laughs> what happened there? Right? Did you yeah. have you gotten their attention? I mean, you know, we're still very early, but like I'll say, all the incumbent paint brands have ordered products from us and are 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 sitting in our email list, so they're paying attention. And you know, I, I yeah. want to talk again about this idea of standing out because um, that's also hard to do, right? Like, especially, I mean, you tell me, but I imagine that in interior design, that you have to learn the rules and and start at the bottom, and it's a you know they want you to do a straight line to the top, an apprentice for someone first. Like, is it something that rewards you standing out, or are there times where you felt? this friction. Yeah. I mean, even just the, the path that you described, that was not my path to becoming an interior designer. I actually worked at Victoria's Secret doing PR, which is where Michelle worked as well. And I started side hustling. Oh, the side hustle. Doing side design hustling. while I was doing fashion PR for, for VS. And so, um, you know, just, and then I turned that side hustle into a full-time thing. And, and so just, yeah, I, I think I've always been different. And then, you know, just on top of me choosing paths that didn't seem logical, if you look at my background, I'm also a black woman, you know, so I definitely stand out when I'm at, um, you know, in the interior design world, I was one of few um, in in the world of venture backed startups. I'm one of very few. I don't know if you guys know the stats, but black women t- typically receive two tenths of one percent of the venture dollars. Um, and so I don't look like a typical founder that's out there raising venture capital. Um, so, yeah, I think just in every regard, I'm not who you think um, when, when you think about, uh, you know, successful entrepreneur tackling a huge market. So you didn't have any choice but to stand out. Yeah, you were like, pretty this much. Is, this is me. Yeah. I'm standing out. Sorry, yeah. I can't blend in even if I try. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Like, often I'm the only one in the room, you know, <laughs> that looks like me. And like, I'm just very used yeah. to it. Your rules do not apply yeah. here. Yeah, you kind of have to position yourself as an outlier if you want to, like, cut through, break the ceilings and, you know, yeah. I love that. And we're going to get back to side hustling, but I want to give you a chance. Here's what blows me away about you and your story. Talk to me about community. How were you, how did you go to Victoria, start at Victoria's Secret, right? And then say like, we need a tribe. I need a community. Talk to me about that. Yeah. um, You know, taking it back a little bit to like these two women just said, when I was growing up, I was always insanely curious. So I'd go to my friend's house in the neighborhood and I wouldn't play with my friends. I'd go talk to their parents. I would like constantly be asking them questions and they'd call my mom like she needs to go home. Like she's just bothering me all day. (laughs) My first job, I would say I had a side hustle. I would come in at like six or seven a.m., get all my work done and say to my boss, can I just sit in the back corner of those management meetings? I want to understand what everyone here does. Like what is a planner? What is the head? of marketing so it was just like very curious and slightly annoying so coupling that with um a career in in major retailers i bet it was so charming i bet it was like honestly don't you think that all of those people were sitting in those meetings like like desperate to get out of them bored out of their minds and they were like this chick wants to come and sit in these meetings and she's excited about it amen thank goodness for her no i think yes 
Um, but where my path pivoted is after sitting in all these amazing organizations and corporations, I would watch the women at the table and they were, you could see in their eyes, they were bursting with ideas, but they never spoke up. And when they did, they would get slightly shot down, but like kind of patted on the back, right? As they were moving further, further in their career. And then when I was at Victoria's Secret, it started to kind of weigh on me because I would watch their personal lives and their professional lives. And I could see that they weren't feeling fulfilled on both fronts. So then I started to think to myself, well, I'm not feeling fulfilled. And why? Well, I was in an organization that was doing so phenomenally well and demonstrated the power of brand so, so cohesively. Wherever you go, you hear the words, you see angel fantasy push up. And so then I was like, well, what's my word? What are my three words that are going to attach to that? And what I realized is that I don't want to look like these marketing campaigns. I'm never going to. I am an Indian girl from New Smithville, Pennsylvania. There was one Indian family and it was mine. Like I never needed to belong and that is actually my superhuman power my individual individuality and it clicked and the world shifted i was like i don't want to look like any of that i want to look like me how do i get warm women to feel like that and once i acknowledged that i started to realize that there's so many people around me that want to support me there's so many people around me that are willing to take a risk and invest in me so then i thought well what if we did this with more women? What if we actually took the power of brand and coupled it with community? So I don't want to create a brand. I want a commu community to create it with me. I want a community to help me dictate how to tell this story because that story is only going to amplify that much faster. So I left. I went to a startup because I had no clue how to start a company. Again, insanely curious, super annoying. At Thrillist Media Group for three years. Left and just started hitting the pavement. And I'm looking around this room and there's so many women that have been on this journey with me. Kelsey, these two lovely women, I mean, it's incredible. But you feel the energy when you're in these environments and all of a sudden it's not like, what do I wanna do? It's how do I do it? I was so impressed as you told me about um, incubating the idea um, for Lively about Tell me, talk, can, and I just think because this is so instructive, talk a little bit about those focus groups that you did. Sure. So when I finally took the leap, it was in August of 2015. I went in, into this office with three walls and a glass door and I was like, cool, I'm going to start a company. And it was just me. So immediately we started to just start having focus groups. We would invite 12 women into an Airbnb, bribe them with wine and cheese and a gift card towards this company that was going to exist eventually. Um, and we would use a rule of two degrees of separation first and foremost. They could have no idea that I'm associated with the company or who is. And we would just sit around and we would show them images. We would say, write the first word that comes to your mind. If they said sexy and provocative, be like, eh. They said confident, empowered, in. We would share words with them. Panties, underwear, undies, panties. No, I would never say that in a grocery line. Or underwear, kind of thinks, I think I'm a husband. Um, undies, oh yeah, I would say that to my daughter, to my grandmother, to anyone. And so they helped us build and craft the brand. And let me tell you, it sounds really beautiful, but it is brutal. Because some women will come in and be like, what is this trim? Is it from Michael's? Like what? And your heart like breaks, but that's what needs to happen. Like it helps you get to the point of progress product market fit before you even launch. So those women, some fitness, some moms, some, you know, musicians, artists, a whole plethora, because the whole idea is to take a sample set of America. Um, and so that's what we did. And then they helped us launch the brand. So is there ever a time um, when 
it's actually a bad idea to do this kind of crowdsourcing, not the research, because I think that's important, but the there's this idea of the entrepreneur that you have this singular vision and you're you're fighting the good fight and you're climbing a mountain and it's do or die. And you were like, hey, everybody, come into my tent, see what happens here. Is there ever a moment where you're like, yeah, I don't know, it needs to be about I'm the bottom line? I think it has to be a partnership, right? Because... If, if your end goal is to be a consumer end use, right? Well, you want people to participate and want it and love it and share it. And so it's really taking your vision and coupling it with what America or the world is telling you. Because if you're bullheaded and stubborn, you're not going to get the world to champion around you. That's you have smart. to embrace it. So smart. All right. So I don't know if who's giving me a countdown clock or how much time we have, but... Um, my, the most important thing to me is that everybody here walks away with the nuts and bolts information that you need to disrupt your own motherfucking industries, right? That you're all gonna, that, that literally, step by step, how many panels have we been to where we do a great job of presenting the problem and a terrible job of doing anything to solve it? So my mission, my purpose is to make sure that you get the nuts and bolts step by step. So we are here at service to you today. Um, I want to start here. Here's where, here's where um, your entrepreneurial journey begins, seeing the opportunity. Nicole, talk to me about finding, how do you find this opportunity? You, you said you looked at bedding and you looked at home decor and then you were like, aha, paint. How, how do you see an opportunity? I think sometimes it's when it's a genuine problem. Like I was an interior designer, so I helped lots of people um, uh, with their homes and I did some television. So I got to work with people who would never be able to like afford to hire me, but I was working with like these really deserving people. And then I'd meet people in the street or be my friends and family's de facto go-to. And the number one problem people came to me with is I need help picking a paint color. I need a white and there are 500 whites at, you know, Benjamin Moore. Can you tell me what's the best one and my I was, sister texted me shades of gray and I'm like how can I help you it is shades of gray on a wall yeah. over text yeah like, this is not helpful I mean like a typical brand has about 3,000 colors okay and so if, and there are only a handful of color families so if you just want a blue you have hundreds to sift through and so I saw that problem but I never really recognized it as a business opportunity until one day I was helping a friend pick paint colors and I was trying to um uh my first thought was to go to the brand's website to find the color to show them and it was like this you know ridiculously overwhelming set of pixelated squares and and you know hundreds and hundreds of them and I'm like this is stupid and I went on Google and typed in the color name and found a better representation of that color faster elsewhere and that's when I was like hmm this is a problem how come no one's site is designed for e-commerce how come no one is selling direct consumer and everybody tells me how horrific their experiences with paint shopping were this is something that I should do uh, I should solve this. I should fix it. Isn't there a problem? Like if I go to the paint store here in Chelsea and my sister's going to the paint store up in Boston, like they're not mixing it the same way. I got to depend on like yeah, yeah. the guy over here at Brickman's helping me figure out yeah. what my paint color is. Yeah. So like identifying the problem was an easy part because it was staring me in the face. Right. And I was very familiar with the problem and the end consumer. And, and then it was just like, okay, now how do I make this happen? And, um, you know, I did all the research all the Googles talked to everybody I knew and just went out and made it happen and like I could talk about the steps but if, if you want but, but yeah that's the gist of it well tell so I mean did, how how did you go from like light bulb moment that it needs to be paint to making that 
thing to happen? Um, so I started putting together the puzzle of who do I need to involve in this process yeah. in order to make it happen. I knew I couldn't do it by myself. I needed, the, the and, and manufacturing a physical product, we were just chatting about this a little bit in the back, supply chain is everything, so that's where I started. Um, I spent uh, probably, let's call it nine or so months on my own with no team, just me, um, you know, trying to assemble the right supply chain and get the foundation and the architecture of our supply chain solid um, and made sure I understand all of the sort of cost side of manufacturing a product and fulfilling e-commerce uh, orders. And, um, and then from there went out to raise capital and, you know, already had sort of what our a clear idea of what our go to market strategy would be and all the suppliers sort of lined up at that point. Was it like and a then million money. coffee meeting? Or did you have people on your team? Were you like, hey, I need to understand supply chain? And then you had to find five people to have coffee with who could explain it yeah, to you? Yeah, it was a mix. It was a mix of talking to people I knew. You know, I had some alumni connections that were in the R&D space. I had, um, you know, I did a lot of cold outreach. Um, probably more cold outreach than I did uh, tapping into networks because I didn't know anyone in the paint industry. You know, I knew people in the design world, but like very different so it was a mix of like millions of coffees phone calls and cold outreaches traveling to like no man's land to go visit a random you know factory or meeting with vendors I went to some trade shows with like professional painters like yeah. I mean I did all sorts of things I mean talk about standing out in a crowd <laughs> you know I did a lot of research and that's really yeah and then just sort of piece together the puzzle so Mariah talk to us about execution you said something to me that I thought was so brilliant on our prep call um, which is it's the idea matters less than the execution. Yeah. So that's not an original statement. I remember I was, um, I was seated across from a venerable, very successful gentleman, maybe about a decade ago. And I, or longer. Um, and you know, I thought I was so creative and smart and I had all these ideas and no, no, no. And he's in private. You are creative and smart and have a lot of ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so does everyone, right? Like everyone's as unique and ordinary as everyone else. And he kind of like put his hand down on the table and he was like, ideas are great. Execution is everything. And I was like, but, but if you don't have the great idea, then it's like, yeah, you'll have tons of great ideas. It's going to be how you execute them. And that really, really has stayed with me. Um, and people like in the room are really connecting with this idea, with connecting with that. Executing is hard, right? Being able to take, you know, your iPad out or remember, you know, my, my dad was a huge like yellow pad, yellow legal pad idea, doodle scribbler, um, but at some point, you've got to put that away and just like put pedal to the metal and understand that um, there are two things I think about. Perfection is the death of creation, right? Like do not try to get a Fabergé egg together. Like your chicken's not going to lay a Fabergé egg, right? Like the chicken is going to lay a broken egg, right? It's going to have two yolks. It's going to be funky. Um, and the second thing is you, ha- like I found that I had to get fundamentally comfortable with being pretty continuously uncomfortable. Like there's just going to be something that sits to the side in your gut. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if this is right. I don't like just a lot of, I don't know. Okay. That's right. Like you're, you're, you're on the right path. And I think I also came from a fashion PR background. 
So maybe, did you come fashion PR or just merch, merchandising? Okay. But in, you know, first seven years of my career were in communications, you know, and some celebrity stuff. I delivered, you know, diamonds to Diddy in a Beverly Hills Hotel bungalow. He was getting a pedicure and eating fried chicken. And um, I was like, my parents paid for a great education. Um, but, but I, I recognized pretty quickly where I over-indexed in terms of strengths and really where I under-indexed, which was finance, data, and analytics. Um, so the first thing is to understand what do you naturally gravitate towards. And the thing is, when you start a company, you're going to need all of it in due time, right? So figure out what is the most important thing, like Nicole just said, supply chain, right? And I would, if you're starting a product business, I would totally agree with that. Um, so figure out what you know and what you don't know, where your strengths are, and be really honest with yourself. And now today, I just you know had a performance review, and the team, I, the leadership team was like, stop asking for so much data, 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 data. So I really went, I like really tried to overcompensate for what I knew was a weakness. And I think that's key to becoming um, a strong executor is surrounding yourself with people who um, can help you fill in the gaps and ultimately make you look good. So can great execution overcome like a mm, idea or do you have to have the good idea and then just really execute? You got to have a real problem. There's got to be a real problem that, uh, I, I mean, I think you look at Lively, like, you know, there was an activist investor yesterday that asked for the breakup of Victoria's Secret and Bath and Body Works that angel sexy push-up thing is maybe a little full of issues and so you know that's a real problem that that lively's disrupted ps customer it's great and then um you know for eloquy we believe there was a real problem that this customer was so has been so disenfranchised from fashion like that's just patently wrong so I, I don't know that you need a brilliant idea, but you need a big problem to tackle. All right. So let's talk about back to your community, back to your tribe, right? How do you, how did you do, where does research come into this idea, this solution problem? Like what does everybody here need to know about knowing your customer and serving your customer? It goes back to that insane curiosity. Spend so much time with them. So I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when we first launched Lively, we used the beautiful open source code that Ho Harry shared in 2011. Everyone remember this? They got 100,000 emails in four weeks, and they just were off to the races. And they were kind enough to put it out in the world. And I was like, well, hmm, I'm going to go ahead and Google that and leverage that. And so we did in 2016, a month before we launched, because our goal was to build this audience upon the ambassadors we've already hustled our way to acquire. Well, we emailed everyone we knew, which was there was three girls in my office, myself included, and we emailed everyone, even like BloomingdalesCustomerService.com, like anyone, the mortgage guy that would email me all the time, like you're getting an email. So we emailed 250 of them, and our goal was for 5,000 emails a week. Well, we went to drinks. We got 100 emails in an hour, 500 that night, woke up to 2,000. One girl was at a baby shower. I'm at you know home with my two kids. It goes to 10,000. 
50,000. That night it was at 90,000. I called the developers. I was like, turn this thing off. Like I'm pretty sure it's hacked. These developers were in bar stool and uh, in bathroom stalls at a bar, like trying to turn it off. Couldn't. <laughs> Next morning we wake up, the whole thing crashes. It totally blew up. We had 133,000 emails and 300,000 sessions globally. Like the heat map was glowing. Why? Two things. One, there was no link in bio when Harry's did it. So everyone was putting it on their Instagram link in bio and on Facebook. Awesome. But two, we spent the time with these women, these focus groups. Remember, we made sure the images were perfect to a degree. Interesting to them, right? We made sure the words were right. We made sure every piece of communication inspired women when they saw them. But my point around this is after that moment happened, the company launched. We didn't sell product. We turned on every customer service channel. We started to talk to these brand lovers first, these brand evangelists, these zealots. Why? Why are you so passionate about this? And we took all of that information and then generated our marketing campaigns off of that. We took their stories. These girls in Australia were literally saying, Michelle, my friend at school got an email from Lively. Where's my email? I was like, I don't freaking know. Whole thing bro, like blew up. But like, why do you want that email, right? So to this day, we still are so in touch with our customer. The first girl that DM'd me, her name is Taylor Tippett. From, she's, she's from Chicago. My first two customers were Megan Osfar and Brett Garb. Like, I know them. I know where they live. I know what they bought. And I know how many times they come back. <laughs> and what do you call them, actually? Because you said ambassadors. Do you call them ambassadors? Hell yeah. Because an ambassador is like there. They're out in the forefront. They're sharing what you're about. But here's the trick to an ambassador program. It can't be one way. So it can't be these girls are sharing and shouting lively for us. We need to spend the time and get behind them. We need to understand what they're passionate about. And we've done so. Like we know everything about Kelsey and why she started Bellforce and how she's having her first beautiful baby. And we know everything about Blank Fox from the beginning and what they're doing and how badass they are. And we're always here to help them for their next step. We have girls that are inspired by really changing the world around mental health awareness. So we have a fundraiser around it. Girls have written their own books. We've helped them launch it. Could be as fluffy as like, I love calligraphy. Great. We'll have a DIY class. But so it's not about you. It's about them. It has to be two-way. And the... And this is the power of the thing that I am so fascinated because I'm building my own tribe of women across the country. You are there in local markets, right? It's not like they're all, they don't feel like they're laddering up into some big giant corporation. You feel like you're in their community. Yes. yes. You have to create that human connectivity. So we were really bullish and said, we're going to go on tour after I had my second son <laughs> kind of thing. Calm down going on tour girls so we went to dallas we spent 10 days went to nashville went to chicago went to san francisco and when we would leave these cities we would identify the girls that could hold the torch for us when we were gone you know so there's two girls in dallas that are activating on our behalf that are really great pillars within that community with very different backgrounds and a girl in nashville and so forth so really letting the community build and breathe um, and continue without you being there now don't get me wrong it's growing faster than we can keep up with so anyone has any tips around that <laughs> let me know I'm pretty sure it's called technology but we're working on that um, but it can't be about you it's it not be about, about us. you and you can't be there you, you got kids you got you gotta right. go have a life yeah it has to be a yeah. living breathing soul the company the brand the community has to live without you amazing I want to talk about something that's so important to me. This is my biggest pet peeve. This is, this is the soapbox that I will stand on and the hill I will die on. 
I saw a lot of hands go up, fashion business, beauty business, wedding business, and these are all kind of, and all the businesses here, the, your customer is women, right? And very often, my biggest pet peeve in the world, people will say, oh, that's so nice for you in that women's business. When I was editor of 17, people were like, oh, that's so nice for you in all of the, I was like 13 million readers, people. 13 million young minds. But though that's nice for you. You're teaching those girls how to, how to kiss. <laughs> I mean, my eyes are rolling in my head, right? And I see it so often that um, we feel almost, a lot of women I know feel almost apologetic that they're in this women's business, right? In a women's space. Women, women in business for women. And that it's not as powerful as traditionally men's businesses. Um, and I want to... and. And so this is my mission, is to change that dynamic, that when we talk about fashion, it is a massive industry. When we talk about beauty, it is a massive industry. We talk about home, huge industries that these women are disrupting, not like the cute little girl corner. Um, So I want to go down the line real quick. What do you say to counteract that idea that you are generating real power and not just in some tiny little niche? It's a multi-billion dollar industry. Let the dollars speak. Billions. You know, when you, when you, when you, I mean, when you frame it that way, even when it comes to like pitching VCs or something, you know, they can be like, oh, that idea is cute. And then you say it's, then you talk about the the market size and it changes the the tone of the conversation. So I think that. So it's your um, numbers. You walk into the room with numbers. Nobody's going to argue with your numbers. You're like, this is not cute. This is. Yeah. Massive. You can't, you can't argue with that. So I think from my, in my experience, that's kind of how I framed it. Yeah, t- I mean, a hundred percent. Know your know your stats. Have your data. Um, the numbers will speak for themselves. Uh, and you know, even macro numbers like women control basically two thirds of GDP. Right? Like we're two thirds of the spending economy of the United States. That's so cute. You know, I, I mean, in the in the earlier days of eloquy, I would get asked almost exclusively by, by some women, but also um, male and potential investors, well, you're not the size of your customer. How can you do this job? And I was like, well, I'm a professional, so I'm going to do it. And B, you know, how many men run companies where the primary consumer is a woman, right? Like, what is the big deal? So... I would just throw it back to them. Great. <laughs> tough? Not accommodating? Be tough about the whole thing? Unapologetic. Unapologetic. You, you, are this, you are a CEO. You are a founder. Whatever you say you are is what you are. Show up as you are. Amazing. Um, data for sure. I mean, we're a $13 billion industry in the United States alone. One of the highest margining categories, not at the whim to fashion. But my advice to all of you would be understand what makes that person tick. So I just came off of two days at Shop Talk. And the first thing I would do would ask questions about who they were and what really inspired them or what made them tick. Is it sports? Use sports analogies. Is it golf? Use golf analogies. But like get in their mind and then you start to play offense and you will always win. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. And I love this idea that like you have to change your own mindset first. If you feel like, oh, I'm just over here doing my girl thing or this is just a passion project, um, you'll never get there. You'll never you'll never change the hearts and minds. So I'm in the hearts and minds business. We're doing Q&A. Great. Hi, this question is for Mariah. I love your suit. Thank you so much. I love your suit, which is this suit. (laughs) (laughs) My first suit. Um, 
So I, I just want to say that Eloquy, more than any other brand, has allowed me to feel part of the fashion conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Amazing. And um, you said something that really struck a chord with me, and I wondered if you had any practical advice around it. Feeling uncomfortable a lot is something that I can relate to as I grow. Do you have any practical advice when you're sitting there in a meeting and you're like, imposter syndrome, I'm uncomfortable? Like, is it self-care? What do you do in those moments? So what's your name? Allison. Allison, okay. Um, I, I almost teared up, but like held it, held it together there. Um, so I would think of it, one of the best pieces of advice I got from my best friend, um, who is like nearly agoraphobic, (laughs) um, but she takes everything in baby steps. And she gave me this piece of advice maybe 15 years ago, like life is all baby steps. And when you look back, you've made monumental leaps. Like when I look back, um, at my undergrad, I never spoke in class. I literally failed participation at Harvard. Like, I did not speak in class. You can't shut me up now, right? So, but it was, what were those um, areas of my life where I knew I was strong? Maybe other people didn't, but like where I had a little bit of confidence. And I just started to push on those. And, and then once I would, I would be like, oh, wait a second. I can do this. This is not such a big deal. But the moment I started to put a huge goal in front of myself, right? Like ambitious, no goals. um, I would immediately shut down. So for me, it has to be about baby steps. And yes, self-care, right? Like when you need a moment, when you need to do yoga, when you need to do whatever it is, like that shit's important, right? Like that, I, don't get me wrong, the first two and a half years of Eloquy were solid like 90 hours a week, straight, straight up. Um, but sometimes I was like, I'm working from my couch today because that's what I need. Hi, I'm Katie Riley, uh, Director of Partnerships and Founding Team Member at She's the First, Girls Education Nonprofit. Come talk to me if you're looking for a cause. Um, <laughs> Got to do the spiel. But I actually want to use one of Anne's favorite questions, which is, if there was a problem we could solve for you, what would it be as a room? So the reason I asked that question, Kate, I'm on the I'm on the advisory committee for She's the First, and if anybody really, she means it, go ask her after, because they are doing amazing, amazing things. Um, when I ask that question, if there's, any, if there's a problem that I could solve for you, what would it be? It's not because I can solve that problem, because it helps you identify the thing that's standing in your way today, right? And it also enlists the rest of everybody else to help you solve it. So I actually love that you asked that question, because we're, we are... Um, a team of badass babes who are sitting at the front of the room saying to you, like, oh, we've got the solution. We're going to tell you how to disrupt an industry. And yet, without knowing, I know that there are things that you wake up every day and you think to yourself, oh, that's killing me. (laughs) And maybe it's personal, right? We talk a lot about work-life balance, which I don't believe in, but like... Some days you need to sit on the couch. Um, maybe, it ha- maybe it has to do with um, personal partnership that you need. Maybe it has to do with getting respect from um, some gigantic company that's not giving you the money and the due and the partnerships that you need. But, like, sort, but that's why I asked that question. So 
What's your problem? So, what's my problem? My problem is, um, I was at a, actually an event last week and I was listening to a, a very successful entrepreneur and he said, are you always uncomfortable? Do you wake up at 3 a.m. and obsess over this one part of your business? Are you just constantly wanting more and more and more? And I was like, yes, yes, yes. So what my problem is, is I don't stop to acknowledge the greatness that we're all doing. Um, and so as a sole founder, I'm constantly just like striving to go next, 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 next. And what I would love is for all of these women in this room to support one another, to say, take a deep breath and just look at what the fuck you did. Yes, 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 yes. yes. amen. Myself included. Um, just a macro problem, if you could magically solve um, pattern bias and pattern recognition, think that just like in, in investing, you know, you talk about the Mark Zuckerberg with the Tevas and the hoodie and the, um, but I think it's, you know, that people have affinity for people who they think are like them because it's, it's self-validating. I'm looking forward to a time when we can see different things in each other beyond what we look like and what we recognize that create kinship. I think for me, it's just, I don't have all the answers. I'm doing a lot of things for the first time as a founder. And sometimes even my team will look to me for the answer. And I'm like, this is my first time doing this. Like, you know, I love that. So I think, um, I I don't know if I have a a, a wide enough circle of people around me to help. Like when I do encounter something, I don't know, like the best thing for me to do is talk to someone who's done it before. Um, And I'm slowly building up my network of founder friends and whomever that can, can kind of be there in my corner. But um, I definitely think that's a, a big opportunity that I want to like focus on and so I'd say for you guys in the room just like find your tribe find your people, tribe um, that can yes. help you through this like really hard journey of, of building a business because uh, you can't do it by yourself and you need to surround yourself with awesome experts who can fill the gaps and all that stuff so amen to your tribe and your sisterhood thank you thank you thank you Kate. I'm Stephanie Floor, founder of Around the World Beauty. It what really, you know, I went to the conversation about how to build a team, and I can't tell you, I felt so empowered to just share what was on my mind because you don't get to talk to people about that. You don't get to share the struggles of building a team because not all of us have investors and not all of us can say no when someone wants to help. So it was so great to just get it off my chest. Sure, my name is Tanya Sterl. My brand is Sterling Style, and I live right here in New York City. Overall, I just had a conversation with another uh, woman in the ladies' room. She said of all the entrepreneurial women in business conferences, this one was different because each panel made sure to break it down to very practical advice that we could apply like today and tomorrow. It, it was like an education day. Each panel, I was able to take away definitive nuggets from, oh my gosh, women who have been doing this for years, some women who, they're on their third businesses already. So who better to learn from as a female founder than other female founders who've been through it, been there? My name is Sophie and I'm the founder of Table Talk. 
I'm so grateful to be a part of the Female Founder Collective, and I just want to shout out Elizabeth Leonard. I really feel like she puts her heart and soul into um, you know, all that she does, and her and Rebecca work so well together, and I just hope Elizabeth also can just take a step back and admire all the hard work she put in to see today come to life, because she does so much behind the scenes, and I, I just hope she gets you know, that shout out because she really was able to create such a beautiful day and everything was so effortless. So Rebecca and Elizabeth as a team is really what made everything happen.